European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 19, Focus Issue, Imaging, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The central role of amygdala in stress-related cardiac diseases, and an update on long COVID. This focus issue on imaging contains a special article co-published with the JACC entitled Valve Academic Research Consortium 3 Updated Endpoint Definitions for Aortic Valve Clinical Research authored by Martin Leon from the Columbia University Medical Center in New York, USA and colleagues. The authors note that the Valve Academic Research Consortium or VARC founded in 2010 was intended to identify appropriate clinical endpoints and standardize definitions of these endpoints for transcatheter and surgical aortic valve clinical trials. Rapid evolution of the field, including the emergence of new complications, expanding clinical indications and novel therapy strategies, have mandated further refinement and expansion of these definitions to ensure clinical relevance. Thus, Several years after the publication of the VARC II manuscript, an in-person meeting was held involving over 50 independent clinical experts, representing several societies, academic research organizations, the U.S. Food and Drugs Administration, or FDA, and industry representatives to evaluate utilization of VARC endpoint definitions in clinical research, discuss the scope of this focused update, and review and revise specific clinical endpoint definitions. A writing committee of independent experts was convened and subsequently met to further address outstanding issues. There were ongoing discussions with FDA and many experts to develop a new classification schema for bioprosthetic valve dysfunction and failure. Overall, this multidisciplinary process has resulted in important recommendations for data reporting, clinical research methods, and updated endpoint definitions. New definitions or modifications of existing definitions are being proposed for repeat hospitalizations, access site-related complications, bleeding events, conduction disturbances, cardiac structural complications, and bioprosthetic valve dysfunction and failure, including valve leaflet thickening and thrombosis. A more granular five-class grading scheme for paravalvular regurgitation, or PVR, is being proposed to help refine the assessment of PVR. Finally, more specific recommendations on quality-of-life assessments have been included, which have been targeted to specific clinical study designs. The adoption of these updated and newly proposed VARC-3 endpoints and definitions will ensure homogeneous event reporting, accurate adjudication, and appropriate comparisons of clinical research studies involving devices and new therapeutic strategies. In another special article entitled Coronavirus Disease 2019 in Adults with Congenital Heart Disease, a position paper from the ESC Working Group of Adult Congenital Heart Disease and the International Society for Adult Congenital Heart Disease. Gerhard Paul Diller from the University Hospital in Münster, Germany and colleagues, note that we are witnessing an unparalleled pandemic caused by a novel severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, or SARS-CoV-2, associated with the coronavirus disease 2019, 
or COVID-19. Current data shows that SARS-CoV-2 results in mild flu-like symptoms in the majority of healthy and young patients affected. The severity of COVID-19 respiratory syndrome and the risk of adverse catastrophic outcomes are increased in patients with pre-existing cardiovascular disease. Adult congenital heart disease, or ACHD, patients, by definition, have underlying cardiovascular disease. Many ACHD patients are also afflicted with residual hemodynamic lesions, such as valve dysfunction, diminished ventricular function, arrhythmias or cyanosis, have extracardiac comorbidities, and face additional challenges regarding pregnancy. Currently, there are emerging data of the effects of COVID-19 on ACHD patients, but many aspects, especially risk stratification and treatment considerations, remain unclear. In this contribution, the authors discuss the broad impact of COVID-19 on ACHD patients, focusing specifically on pathophysiology, risk stratification for work, self-isolation, hospitalisation, impact on pregnancy, psychosocial health, and long-term implications for the provision of ACHD care. Troponin elevation is common in hospitalised COVID-19 patients, but underlying etiologies are ill-defined. In a clinical research article entitled Patterns of Myocardial Injury in Recovered Troponin-Positive COVID-19 Patients Assessed by Cardiovascular Magnetic Resonance, Tushar Kotecha from the University College London, United Kingdom and colleagues used multiparametric cardiovascular magnetic resonance, or CMR, to assess myocardial injury in 148 patients, 64 plus or minus 12 years, 70% male, with severe COVID-19 infection, all requiring hospital admission, 32% requiring ventilatory support, and troponin elevation. CMR, including adenosine stress perfusion if indicated, was carried out at a median follow-up of 68 days. Left ventricular function was normal in 89% of patients. LGE and or ischemia were found in 54% of patients. This comprised myocarditis-like scars in 26%, infarction and or ischemia in 22%, and dual pathology in 6%. The authors conclude that during convalescence after severe COVID-19 infection with troponin elevation, about half of patients present subclinical evidence of myocarditis, myocardial infarction, and myocardial ischemia at CMR. Whether these alterations represent pre-existing clinical silent disease or de novo COVID-19-related changes remains undetermined. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Leslie Cooper from the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, USA, and Matthias Friedrich from the McGill University Health Center in Montreal, Canada. The authors note that this is an important study as it shows that abnormalities of myocardial tissue characterized by MRI are common during COVID-19 recovery, while causal relationships of these tissue changes to future cardiac events remain to be established. In particular, the association with fibrosis, clinical heart failure and arrhythmia risk over a meaningful span of years need to be studied in diverse groups to develop a predictive risk model for the management of chronic COVID-19 cardiac injury.
Several studies are ongoing and will deliver answers. COVID Heart, NIHR 285147, FOSP COVID, NIHR 285439, Moist, NCT 045257, NCT 03607. Emotional stress is associated with cardiovascular events. However, the mechanistic linkage of brain emotional neural activity and acute plaque instability is not fully elucidated. Activity in the amygdala, a brain center involved in the perception of and the response to stressors, associates with heightened sympathetic nervous system and inflammatory output as well as risk of cardiovascular disease. In a clinical research article, stress-associated neurobiological activity is linked with acute plaque instability via enhanced macrophage activity, a prospective serial 18F FDG PET-CT imaging assessment. Dong Okran from the Korea University Guro Hospital in the Republic of Korea and colleagues sought to prospectively estimate the relationship between brain amygdala activity, arterial inflammation, and macrophage hematopoiesis in acute myocardial infarction, or AMI, as compared to controls. 18F fluorodeoxyglucose positron emission tomography, stroke computed tomography, or 18F FDG PET stroke CT, Imaging was performed within 45 days of the index episode in 62 patients. In 10 patients of the AMI group, serial 18F FDG PET stroke CT imaging was performed after six months to estimate the temporal changes. The signals were compared using a customized 3D rendered PET reconstruction. Amygdala activity, carotid arterial inflammation, and macrophage hematopoiesis were significantly higher in AMI patients compared to controls. Amygdala activity correlated significantly with those of the carotid arteries, aorta, and bone marrow. Psychological stress scales and amygdala activity correlated well, P being less than 0.001. Six months after AMI, amygdala activity, carotid arterial inflammation, and macrophage hematopoiesis decreased to a level comparable to the controls. Kang et al. conclude that amygdala activity, arterial inflammation, and macrophage hematopoiesis were concordantly enhanced in patients with AMI, showing concurrent dynamic changes over time. These results raise the possibility that stress-associated neurobiological activity is linked with acute plaque instability via augmented macrophage activity and could be a potential therapeutic target for plaque inflammation in AMI. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Mark Dweck from the University of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. The authors conclude that despite its limitations, this study underlines the potential value of multi-system 18F FDG PET imaging as a method for interrogating the association of atherosclerotic inflammation with activity in other organ systems.
future studies should aim to elucidate the directionality of these associations and test the hypothesis that reductions in psychological stress may aid in the recovery from MI and in the prevention of future and recurrent cardiac events. In a clinical research article entitled Stress-Associated Neurobiological Activity Associates with the Risk for and Timing of Subsequent Takotsubo Syndrome As our Radfar from the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School USA and colleagues address the role of amygdala activity in Takotsubo Syndrome or TTS known to be preceded by intense emotional or physical stress in about 80% of cases. They hypothesize that the amygdala activity is heightened among individuals who develop TTS, a heart failure syndrome often triggered by acute stress. The authors tested the hypotheses that 1. Heightened amygdala activity precedes development of TTS and 2. Those with the highest amygdala activity develop the syndrome earliest. A total of 104 individuals who underwent clinical 18F FDG PET stroke CT imaging were retrospectively identified. 41 who subsequently developed TTS, median follow-up 2.5 years after imaging, and 63 matched controls. Amygdala activity was measured using validated methods. Individuals with versus without subsequent TTS had higher baseline amygdala activity, P equals 0.038, after adjusting for TTS risk factors. Further amygdala activity associated with the risk for subsequent TTS after adjustment for risk factors. Among the subset of individuals who develop TTS, those with the highest amygdala activity develop TTS approximately two years earlier after imaging versus those with lower amygdala activity, P equals 0.028. The authors conclude that higher amygdala activity associates with an increased risk for TTS among a retrospective population with a higher rate of malignancy. This heightened neurobiological activity is present years before the onset of TTS and may impact the timing of the syndrome. Accordingly, Heightened stress-associated neural activity may represent a therapeutic target to reduce stress-related diseases, including TTS. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Hiroaki Simokawa from Tohoku University Graduate School of Medicine in Sendai, Japan, and colleagues. The authors note that the heart-brain connection is not a specific phenomenon of TTS, but is widely noted in patients with cardiovascular diseases. Increased amygdala activity may also predict the risk of other stress-related cardiovascular and metabolic diseases. They concur that heightened stress-associated neural activity may represent a therapeutic target to reduce TTS, as well as other stress-related cardiovascular diseases, including chronic heart failure. Our understanding of the complexities of valvular heart disease, or VHD, has evolved in recent years primarily because of the increased use of multimodality imaging. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Multimodality Imaging in Valvular Heart Disease How to Use State-of-the-Art Technology in Daily Practice Anna Reid from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada and colleagues 
Note that whilst echocardiography remains the primary imaging technique, the contemporary evaluation of patients with VHD requires comprehensive analysis of the mechanism of valvular dysfunction, accurate quantification of severity, and active exclusion extravalvular consequences. Furthermore, advances in surgical and percutaneous therapies have driven the need for meticulous multimodality imaging to aid in patient and procedural selection. Fundamental decision-making regarding whom, when, and how to treat patients with VHD has become more complex. There has been rapid technological advancements in multimodality imaging. Many techniques are now available in routine clinical practice, and their integration into has the potential to truly individualize management strategies. This review provides an overview of the current evidence for the use of multimodality imaging in VHD and how various techniques within each modality can be used practically to answer clinical conundrums. The issue is complemented by a standalone discussion forum article in a contribution entitled The Impact of Minimally Invasive Technique on the Outcomes of Isolated Tricuspid Valve Surgery. Jin Mao Chen from the Fudan University in Shanghai, China and colleagues comment on the contribution Isolated Tricuspid Valve Surgery Impact of Etiology and Clinical Presentation on Outcomes by Julien Dreyfus from the Centre Cardiologique du Nord in Saint-Denis, France and colleagues. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.